Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. It is good to be with you today. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 15. We will finish up chapter 15. We've got two more weeks. We'll be in Mark before we uh, begin a new study, but I have enjoyed walking through the gospel with you. I hope you have too. Um, as all of Mark has been reminding us of what Christ has come to accomplish, and, and here we have been um, through some heavy stuff the last few weeks as we've walked through the crucifixion together. We've seen uh, what our sin has caused and the, the pain and the suffering that Christ would have to endure because of his role to become the atonement for sin, to become the perfect sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could um, step in our place. And Jesus was that. He was that for us completely and fully. And we have seen that. Um, Last week we left off as Jesus is is being hung on the cross as they were mocking him and and making fun of him. and, and, And for if he is the king, if he is the son of God, to come down to save yourself and we saw that the irony of all the things that Jesus was going through is that he was absolutely doing the saving in this moment. They were asking him to save himself because that's what we would do as, as humanity. We would look for ways to save ourselves, to, to accomplish our needs and fulfill our purposes. But Jesus was doing something as a servant uh, for the will of God. He was accomplishing God's purpose and his will, and he was freely giving his life in our place. Today we'll look at um, the death of Jesus and the burial, and the next week we'll look at the resurrection, and then the week after we'll see uh, what we do with all of this, how we put, apply and put these things. And, and today I, I want us just to, to walk through this story together. Um, the, the main point of my story is to see, to see the detail in the death and to see the detail in the burial. There's a reason that Mark has written these things. There's some details that he leaves out that the other gospels put in, but there's some purpose here of why Mark would write these things and why they would give such detail in these moments of what is going on and what is happening with Jesus as he gives his final breath and what is happening with Jesus after this uh, before we come to the resurrection. And I think there's some important things um, for us to learn here. Often when we lay uh, April and I will will lay with Grady at night uh, to um, really until he falls asleep. He he wants someone there, and so we'll we'll lay down with him in his bed. And and, and I've told I think I've told you part of this before, but um, Grady, our our, our five year old, he will he will lay there and he he may not talk uh, for the last few hours, but when you lay down with him at night, he's sure going to start talking like he's got the world to say. And even when he doesn't have to say, um, he'll lay there and he'll just tell you. He's like, hey, Dad, I love you, and, and, or hey, Mom, I love you. And he wants to make sure every night that he tells us these things. And I always tell him, uh, he'll say, hey, Dad, I love you, and I love Mom. And I'll say, well, you love Mom, but you love me more, right? And, and we do this back and forth, and he'll say, no, I love you, and I love Mom. I say, I know, but you love me more. And he's like, no, and he gets his hand out. And if you ever see Grady, and he's talking with his hand like this, I mean, he's serious. And he'll say, no, I love you, I love Mom, I love you both. That's it. And then you'll see something sometimes click in his mind. And, and this often he, he goes from that to this. And, and he'll sit there for a second and he'll say, but you know what, Dad? 
and he'll say, I love Jesus the most. And I'll, I'll respond to him. I said, you know what, Grady? Mom and Dad, we love you so, so much. But Jesus loves you the most. Even more than we do, Jesus loves you. And I often pray that my kids would understand that. And I know that's a simple thing. And I know sometimes Grady, he, he may not even really realize what he's saying. He may just be repeating something that we've tried to tell him from a young age that, yes, we love you, but, but God loves you the most. And, and it, it will click in his mind sometimes and he'll just have to tell it. But it's been our prayer that that would become a reality for each one of our kids. That would become a reality personally for us. And this week, as I've walked through this passage um, in, in the last few weeks, as we've been at the cross and we've, we've felt the heaviness and the weight of, of all these things, it's that we would see in this how much God truly loves us. How great of a love he has for his children that would leave Jesus on the cross that he would endure the pain and the suffering that he goes through, that, that all the things that Mark tells us about, the brutality and, and the things that he would endure is because that God was sharing his love with us and that Jesus was a faithful and obedient servant of the will of God and it was for the glory of God and it was for the good of man and it was so that we could understand and know the love of God. And we'll see that here today. So Mark Chapter 15 and verse 33 through the end of the chapter. We'll start with the death of Jesus. And it says, And when the sixth hour had come, excuse me, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that that in this way, He breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, Since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out from the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he had laid. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word today, God, I pray that it would, it would speak truth. God, it is your holy word. It is 
Lord, just the, the, as, as we see what is here in it, Lord, as, as we see Christ and his last breath and what is happening here, God, I pray that um, the truth would not bypass us, but, Lord, that we would hear it, Lord, that your spirit would reveal it to us, Lord, that we would know it and understand it and, Lord, apply it to our lives. And so help us do that today, Father. Help us to see this. Help us um, to be moved by it. And, God, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the thing that we will do here today is, is walk through um, some of the significant details of the cross. And I'm hot in here. I don't know if anybody else is, but I always am. So um, my glasses are fogging up. But starting in verse 33, the first thing we see right out of the gate, we know that Jesus is on the cross. Um, we know that this is about um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He's already been on the cross for about three hours, about, uh, about noon something had begun to happen. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until, uh, until the ninth hour. What we see here is something very significant. A miracle is happening. Something big is happening in this moment. And darkness all over the earth. And this is not a solar event. This is not an eclipse. This is not something that's just happening um, out of coincidence that it would be 12 o'clock and it would just be dark in the day for a few hours and it happened to be why Jesus was on the cross. No, this was God signifying something. This is a, an important moment in this passage. This is that, that God is declaring um, the, really his judgment over the darkness and the perversion of sin on his son, that, that there is this moment that's going on in the world that is going to change the world forever that in this time, darkness is over the land because there is a darkness that Jesus is embodying here on the cross. And we see that, that this miracle happens to show that this is going on in the world. In Amos chapter 8 and 9 and 10, it talks about this day. And on that day, it declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. It will turn your feasts into mourning, all your songs into limitations. It will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. It will make the morning for an only son to the end of it like a bitter day. The Bible in the Old Testament speaks of these things coming to pass and that they will happen one day and this, this is happening. Christ is fulfilling what the Old Testament speaks of. It also reminds us of, of the period right before um, the 10th the plague that happened before they release of, of God's people from, from the bondage in Egypt. Do you remember what the ninth plague was? It was three days of darkness, right? It was, it was the darkness that encompassed um, right before the angel of death would come and take the firstborn son um, of those who, who did not apply the blood to their doorpost. All of these things are, are, are remembering of these things. We, we see this and we see that, that those things were pointing to this moment, are, are mindful of what's happening here on the cross. Uh, Warren Wishby says this, the darkness of Calvary was an announcement that God's firstborn, a beloved son, the Lamb of God, was giving his life for the sins of the world. That's what we saw in the Old Testament happening. That's what we're seeing right now being applied, that Jesus Christ is fulfilling these things. That is happening like the darkness is a reminder 
of that Christ has come. And he is the son that is being sacrificed. He is the one, the blood's lamb that is being shed. And so we see this miracle happen to help us to see that something significant is going on in this moment of what Christ is accomplishing for the will of the Father. And we also see um, as he cries out, Mark doesn't talk about all the things that Christ says from the cross. There's seven sayings of Christ from the cross, but he does speak of one that is mentioned in other scriptures. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? This is significant, and I'm going to tell you, I don't even begin to fully understand how all of this works. That Christ, the Son of God, part of the Trinity Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, could cry out to God, how are you forsaking me? That God is turning his face away from Christ in this moment. I don't believe that we can fully understand and grasp this, but we can see the significance of what is happening. In this moment that, that Christ is fully embodying the sin of the world. And a holy, righteous God cannot look upon the sin. One of my pastor friends said this of this moment. He said, something here was happening where the full weight of the world's sin is being put on Jesus. And a perfect and holy, just God can only do one thing, and that is crush it. That is put it to death. And that's what we see here when Jesus is crying out in this moment, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Why is Jesus experiencing this? This was a relationship that we've never known like this before of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But in this moment, there's something happening because of sin being put on Christ, where there's creating separation, where the Father is turning his face away from the Son in this moment. And that justice is happening as he's putting the weight of the sin upon him to be crushed. Jesus is enduring this for us. Salvation is, is happening here. The, the payment is being paid. And that's what we're seeing as, 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 we, as we see the death of Christ. We're seeing the atonement literally playing out right before our eyes. I just can't imagine the rejection it must have been. Someone who has been in perfect unity with the Father to experience this kind of rejection. We on earth don't deal well with rejection of our own. Um, to, to be in a, a fight with a husband and wife and, and for them to not even be talking to you for a moment, to experience that creates uh, turmoil. It, it's a peace that you don't want. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's an unsettling. There's no peace. And it, uh, to experience that, to, to be mad at a friend or to have your kids uh, mad and not talking to you. There's all kinds of things that give us just a little bit of a glimpse of some of the emotional feeling it might have felt, but it does not begin to compare to what Christ is experiencing in this moment, that he's experiencing this rejection for you and for me. Timothy Keller says this, of this, this cry of the Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the maker of the world, was being unmade. Why? Jesus was experienced judgment day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question. And the answer is, it's for you and it's for me. 
It's for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us has fell instead on Jesus in this moment. Uh, Timothy Keller writes about this in his book about the cross and about the meaning and significance of these things. And it's an incredible chapter of just beginning to understand and walk through what's happening as God is forsaking Christ and experiencing the judgment of the Lord um, in our place. Can you hear those things? Can you see those things without beginning to understand the depth of the Father's love? Can we, can we even begin to see what Christ is doing and enduring for us and not be mindful of just how much God loves us? Just how much that, that Christ is enduring on our behalf and not see the fullness of the love of God on display in this moment. In verses 35 through 37, it speaks of, of Elijah. It says, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. They, they had this mindset. They had this idea that Elijah was the one who was going to return and be the savior of God's people. And he was going to restore God's earthly kingdom. I don't know if you've seen this time and time again, but it's, I've said it up here so many times because all through the Gospels, um, when, when we're faced with believing in Jesus and seeing what Christ is accomplishing or what the Jewish um, re- religious leaders at this time could not understand is because there was a difference of the kingdoms that they were looking for and the difference of the saviors they were looking for. And they weren't looking for Jesus to come and save them from their sins and establish a spiritual kingdom of God. They were looking for Elijah or someone to come in in power and establish their earthly kingdom and give them superiority over the people around them and give them a place of power politically and, and just bring them back into the forefront of leadership. And when that was failing, even in this moment, they're looking for that. They're looking for that Savior. And so they say, well, maybe he's calling out for Elijah to come and be that Savior and establish that kingdom. They were looking. They were waiting. And they were looking for the Savior. And they were looking right past Jesus on the cross. That's an amazing scene right there. They were looking. Let's wait. Let's just wait a minute and see if the Savior comes. And they're staring at the body of Christ right in front of them, being the Savior, being the atonement for their sins, doing all that the Old Testament has prophesied that he would do, and he is accomplishing it right before their eyes, and they're looking past them for some kind of other Savior to fulfill their needs. Do we do that? Do we look past Jesus to find something else to make us whole? Do we look past Jesus for something else to fulfill our needs, to, to give us some peace, to, to ground us a little bit, to help us get through each day? What is it that, that we are looking past when Jesus is right in front of them saying, I am the Savior. I am salvation. And in this moment, it's being accomplished, and they don't see it. And the very next thing is Jesus takes his last breath. Let's see if he'll come down in verse 27. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last breath. The other gospels say that um, Jesus says that it is finished. Cried aloud that it is finished. 
and then took his last breath. This last breath is, is the moment that all of that that we're talking about that, that's being pictured here is being accomplished. It's the atonement. It's the debt being paid. It is being finished for us. Romans 3.23 is a verse that we all know, but if you continue to read in the next few verses as well, it helps explain and understand this moment. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance he had passed over our former sins. It was to show his righteousness at this present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He talks about this, that it's in Christ in this moment that, that God would not no longer look over sin because he is a just God, but he would put that sin to death. It is through the grace of God and the mercy of God that we experience these things. We receive faith in Christ alone because of what is happening here. We put to death our sins, and with our sins on the cross, we live in the freedom that is being purchased by the blood of the Lamb. That's, that is, is the significance of this, is that when we see that Christ breathes his last breath, that his death has happened, that is finally that he has accomplished the purpose of God in being the sacrifice for our sins. When we look at our sins and we ask Christ to be the Savior of our sins, we're asking him to put our sins to death with him on the cross. We're asking for our lives to be identified with him. We're, we're saying fully and wholly that I will put to death my sin with Christ on the cross and I will forever strive to live in the freedom of God's grace and love and mercy, no longer a slave to sin, but now alive in Christ. And I know that's next week's sermon, but, um, but that is what we're looking towards, this new life that this would bring. But as our sin is put to death with him, Colossians 3, 3 through 5 says this, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We have died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. When, when Christ took his last breath, theologically, we experience this, spiritually, we experience this, that he is put to death for our sins. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. We're to put our sins to death with Christ on the cross and live in the freedom that God has brought. He breathed his last breath. Jesus is, is finished. He has accomplished what he has come to do. There's silence that comes after this. Uh, there's, there's after Jesus cries, it just feels like there's a heaviness and a weight to what's going on. And if you can imagine what his followers must be thinking. And it talks about the women who, who are there. And, and it talks about the one who will come and, and and, and be there for the burial. But it must have, just imagine the, the mind of what they must have been going through as they see and take his last breath. Some confusion, some questions must arise. Is he really the Savior? What's really going on? Um, what does it mean when he says he'll rebuild the temple in three days? All these questions and teachings and things. There's, there's some confusion here because they have not experienced what happens in chapter 
16 of Mark, what happens in the very next section of the resurrection. Um, and so there's got to be some questions in this moment. There's one last thing that happens here. Jesus takes his last breath, and the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. I love this. There's, there's sermon after sermon just in this moment of what's happening here as the curtain of the temple is being torn. Um, the, you know that, that the temple, we've talked about this, there was a holy place, and it was a place where they would make sacrifices, but then there was this place called the Holy of Holies, and there was a curtain that was about 60 feet tall and about uh, 30 feet wide, and, and they say it's anywhere from four to six inches thick. Is a, a woven piece of material that God specified in the Old Testament what it would look like. It would stand there as the barrier between the holy place and the holy of holies. In the Old Testament, the holy of holies was the place the Ark of the Covenant would reside. And it was a place that, that showed that Christ, this is where the Lord would reside among his people. And they were not allowed to enter into this place but one time a year to make a sacrifice for the atonement of God's people. One time a year on the Day of Atonement. And the priest who would have made a sacrifice for himself, who would, who would only enter into the Holy of Holies if he had made himself right with God beforehand. And they would tie the rope to his leg and they would put bells on him. They'd talk about these things that in case he wasn't because when he stepped into the presence of God, unless he had, had done the things he was supposed to do to prepare himself to do this, um, he would die in the presence. That's what this represents. That the curtain was the barrier between the high priest, God's people, and entering the presence of the Lord. And what's so significant about this is right now, Jesus destroys that barrier. With the cross of Jesus Christ, that barrier is no more. No longer are we looking to someone to go in on our place once a year and, and, and enter in the presence of God. But the word of God tells us that we can fully enter into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The barrier is no longer needed. The significance of this is huge. That Christ is accomplishing these things for us. That, that we can now go to God and we can pray to him and we can know him and we can be in relationship with him because it, it is different from this moment on. The, the veil is torn. It speaks so much of what Christ is accomplishing in the will of the Father. Hebrews talks about this. Go and read Hebrews 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Like the, those chapters in the middle of Hebrews and it, it just talks about the Old Testament laws and the things that are happening here. But chapter 10, verses 19 through 23, it says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence now to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts uh, sprinkled clean, from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast with the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus, he became the curtain for us. He destroyed it. He is now uh, the high priest that goes on our behalf. He is the one that allows us through Jesus Christ and our faith in him that we can enter into the kingdom of, or the presence of the Lord with confidence. It says with confidence enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus.
I just think that's beautiful. I think there's so much more there, but um, because of time, we'll, we'll continue on. But let's see that. Let's know that Jesus has, has accomplished this, that God has given them a visual understanding that the temple is no longer necessary, that, that Jesus is now the sufficient and final sacrifice to ever be made. He was the atoning sacrifice. Verse 39, it says, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw this, the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The significance of this detail, the centurion's proclamation, what he says here, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Uh, We started out in the very first lesson of Mark, and I said this book would be about this moment. This book would be about showing us the Son of God, that Jesus comes in authority, that he comes with power, that he comes uh, different than every other person who's ever lived on this earth. He comes as the Son of God uh, to lay his life down and be this sacrifice. And the centurion, this man who was a soldier who no doubt had seen these things happening over and over before because the Romans loved to, to crucify people, those people, especially people who'd come against Roman leadership and insurrection and things. And no doubt he had seen the brutality of these things. No doubt he had probably been around some of the mockery and the things that are going on and the trials and stuff that he heard what was going on. And he would recognize in this moment, as Jesus took his last breath, that he wasn't looking past it for Elijah, but he saw and he confessed that truly this was the Son of God. Many commentators say, don't think too much about this. That this is not necessarily a proclamation of salvation. But I don't think we need to think too little about it either. Because he recognized something that no one else was seeing in this moment. He was recognizing something that everybody else around him was looking past. He was seeing that and believing that this was God's son. That this truly was Jesus who said he was all that he claimed to be. In this moment, this proclamation, I think, is huge. That this person, I think it gives us so much hope because this person right here is probably someone who should have been the last person to make this proclamation. It should have been the women that are talked about next, or it should have been um, the one who, who's come to take down his body, or it should have been some other ones, the disciples standing there at the cross, but they were not there to be found. They had run away from the moment. But the centurion stood there and he saw Jesus and he saw how he gave his life. He saw how he endured the things silently. He saw that that there was something greater happening here in this moment. And he proclaimed that truly this is the Son of God. Let's look very quickly and just take a few minutes um, to see the details of the burial and what's going on. Um, in verse 42, it says, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, is a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So there's something happening here. Because Jesus doesn't die like every other criminal on a cross. Uh, it... it We'll talk about this in a moment, but um, Pilate can't believe that he's already died. Like the timing is off. 
the burial is not what we're going to see as, as common. But it's because Joseph of Arimathea, he says he takes courage. He, he gets enough boldness to go and ask Pilate for the body of Christ. And Pilate doesn't even understand he's a, I, uh, that he's surprised that Jesus is already dead. It says in verse 4, 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And we learn from the centurion that he was dead. He granted the corpse to Joseph. What we're going to see here in some of these details is that Jesus doesn't die like a common criminal. Jesus dies for the common criminal. Or Jesus, but he's not buried like a common criminal. See, what normally would happen is they would just leave them on the cross or they would take them to a place that was kind of the, the dump y- yard, a place that was on fire, that was, was all the refuse of the city, that they would throw um, people after they take them down from the cross on this. That was just a, a disgusting place. The Bible talks about this place, and it was common for them to either do that or to leave them on the cross and kind of let nature take its course. And I know this is too much, but to let birds and animals and things begin to, to tear them away from the cross and just allow that to happen to them. Those are the things that normally would happen. There was no burial for a criminal. There was no plots that they would take them down and, and prepare them, and, and no, they would throw them out. But not Jesus. Jesus was buried like a king. We know that Isaiah would talk about this. They would talk about that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb in Isaiah chapter 53. But here um, we see that, that this burial is, is uncommon for this moment. But Pilate um, allows this to happen. Uh, Joseph, who, who was a part of the council, there's some things about Joseph that's talked about in some of the other gospels. This man, Joseph, he was not on board with with what was happening to Jesus. It says he was a part of the Sanhedrin. Those who, who were the first ones at night who had that secret meeting, who pronounced that Jesus should be put to death, it says that he did not agree with that sentencing. It says that he's a secret disciple, that he'd been following Jesus. And that there was, there was something about this that, that he didn't necessarily, maybe he didn't stand up for him in all these other moments, but in this moment, he could not, because of his love for Christ, just see him buried like a common criminal. And so because he was a wealthy man, he takes him on. And Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophets. In Isaiah 53, it says, And they made a grave with the wicked and the rich man in his death, and with a rich man in his death, although he had no violence. He was put to death with the wicked, but he was given a burial of the rich man. We see that this, this is... This is um, an uncommon thing that, that they would do this, that he would take these things and prepare his body. Listen, um, and Joseph brought linen and a shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in linen and shroud and laid him in the tomb and had, had been cut out of the rock and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. All of these things are something that you would do, not out of ceremony, out of ritualness, but out of love. It's because he had a love for Christ because he saw him as something greater, um, that, the, that he still saw him as King Jesus, and he wanted him to be honored in that way. There was no Jewish tradition that said you had to bury in certain ways. The Bible tells us in, in the other Gospels that he brought 75 pounds of, of spice and herbs and things that would wrap his body with. And that was to show his passion and love for Christ, this compassion for him, and he would lay him in this tomb. 
These details, I think, are to help us to point to one thing, um, to see that Christ really was dead. There would be there are all kinds of theories out there that Christ didn't die on the cross because it was a shorter time, because of all of these things that um, it was kind of like that soap opera ending or whatever, the, the cliffhanger on the show, and you got to wait till next week when someone's been shot or is hurt and they're bleeding out and it looks like they're dead. And then the very beginning of the next show, it's, they jerk awake and you see, and they're, of course, they're fine in the rest of the episode and because they're the main characters of the, of, the, of the movie or whatever it is. That's not what's happening here. He's talking about these details. He's talking about Joseph who would go through these things. He's talking about a tomb that he would give to him. You wouldn't do this if you were just wanting to fake someone's death. He wouldn't go to Pilate who called out for Jesus to be crucified. He wouldn't go and say, hey, I want to take him and give him a king's burial because of what it might cost him, his own life. There, there's some things in here, these details that it shows. He includes at the end that the women were there, Mary and Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of, of Joseph, and saw where he had laid. In the writings of Scripture, and uh, in, in the historical writings, they would not have cared about what the women were doing there or, or about their testimony, what they thought. They would not use those as testimonies. They would not take those in. Women were treated as second-class citizens in this world. And, and for him to include them twice at, at the end of his life at the cross and then at the end, of, he, they saw him buried, just shows that they're not just making this up because if they were making it up, they would have talked about all the men that were there and all the things that these men saw and did. But they're just showing the truthfulness of this moment that Jesus Christ truly died and was buried, just as the Bible says he would. It's important for us to see that. It's important for us to know that Christ truly did die because he did accomplish what God said he would accomplish in his death because the Bible is true, because historically we can trust it and know the truth of God's word. And so we see these things, we trust these things, and we believe in them. And so the details of the burial point us to understanding the, this truth. And so today, I, I want us to look at just four or five quick applications of, of this narrative. And we've talked a little bit about it as we went through, and, and Margaret, if you want to come. Uh, I want us to, to see these. I want us to ask us these questions to, to apply these things to our life. One, do we see Jesus as the servant here? He was completely obedient to the Father. He gave his life, and of course we can't be like Jesus, but we're called to do everything we can to be like our Savior. Are we willing to be obedient to the Father, even at the cost of what it might cost us? This is one example of, of one thing that we can see in this passage is that Jesus gave his life to death. Uh, Ashton read in Philippians that he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a human. And he took on this for our sake. And he became obedient to death, even death of a cross for us. The second thing I see here is that because he endures death, our sins can be fully put to death with him on the cross. Do we live this way? Are we putting our sins to death with him? Are we trusting in Jesus and his atoning work to free us from the bondage of sin? 
Are we holding on to certain things? Are we letting sin stay a part of our life and, 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 and living them and letting them uh, affect the way we think and the way we act and the way we talk and the way we do things? Are we putting it to death at the cross? Are we allowing what Jesus Christ accomplished to accomplish something for us? Because the Bible says spiritually it has. The Bible says that, that he has accomplished in this moment these things. He has put our sin to death with him at the cross. The reality of his death gives us a crossroads here. Do we truly believe? Do we believe that Jesus died on the cross? Do we believe that he was put to death for our sins? Do we believe? I think for some of us in this room today, we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that? Do we truly believe that all these things that, that the Bible tells us, that Jesus accomplished these things, is the reason the Gospels write this narrative is to show what Jesus went through and that his life was given, that he was put to death, that he was buried, and these things were so that he could be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we have to declare, do we believe or we don't believe? I think we also have to see here is that what Christ has accomplished for us is that he has made a way for us to come to the Father. The barrier is torn down, says from the top to the bottom, as though God rips it apart himself, as though it's not done by man's hands, but to know that, that this was the work of the Father and he has made a way for us to come into the presence of the Lord. Do we do that? Do we seek to come to the Lord through Christ? Are we, are we seeking the presence of the Lord in our lives? That we've been given this special opportunity, we've been given a way to, to know the Father and it's through the Son. And our, the last thing is, are we willing to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? The centurion, this hardened soldier would say, truly this was the Son of God. Do we confess that in our lives? Do we confess that in our own belief, in our own uh, trusting and believing in the salvation of the Lord? And do we confess that in front of others? And by the way we live our lives, and by the way we share Christ with others, are we confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God, that he came from heaven to earth, to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins so that we may have eternal life? And we want as many people to understand, to know, and believe what Jesus Christ has done. God is worthy of us living our lives that way. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would confess these things today, Lord. That you are holy, that you are glorious, that you accomplished all these things through Jesus, that your love is shown to us through the cross, that we would proclaim Jesus to the world. God, whatever it is in this message um, that we needed to see and that our hearts need to be reminded of, Lord, I pray that it would speak um, today, Lord, that that truth would just resonate with us. Um, Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, we'd respond to it, that we wouldn't just let it uh, be something that we hear and, and move on from it, Lord, that it would, um, Lord, that you would speak that truth to us. Lord, we pray now as we, as we sing and as we worship and as we celebrate, um, God, what you have done, Lord, we're reminded through this next song of just the love that you have shown us, Lord, um, that we would just uh, 
as a church, as, as believers, we worship you in this moment. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.